Good morning. Uh, good to have you in God's house. Did you sleep in? Uh-huh. Yeah, there was hardly anybody here at 8 o'clock. It was really sparse. So it's either, I have two options, either the time change or coronavirus. One of the two. So it's, it's good to have you here. Um, I was just recovering from Israeli time, and then I'm moving my trip, I think, another time of the year. This is, like, hard to deal with. Then my wife's in California suffering in San Diego this week. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, we're in Romans. We're in chapter 15, uh, verses 22 to 33. If you turn there, we're going to finish uh, that chapter today. Romans 15, verses 22 to 33. And I do want to uh, say a couple things about coronavirus, because that's what everybody has been talking about all week long. Um, there is, I mean, you know, it's a fluid situation. Uh, and so how we are responding to it as a church. We had a huge meeting this week where we as a staff, uh, we talked about this. So what, is, what are the ramifications? Uh, and so we began to do things behind the scenes uh, to heighten san sanitary conditions, clean this, clean that. We actually hired another third uh, janitorial uh, maintenance person to give attention to what we would call deep cleaning, fine tuning that they're gonna be doing every <laughs> single day. Uh, so that, that should help immensely, making sure our, ha our sanitizing machine stations are filled because last Sunday they weren't. Uh, and so it's like that can't ever happen. And so anyway, so there's a lot of practical things we're doing behind the scenes. But tomorrow you're going to get an email. If I can have time to write the email, maybe Tuesday at the latest, uh, I'm going to send you an email regarding all that we're doing as a church. You should read this email. Okay, promise? Oh, it's for Marty, you know. It's God's will for you to read that email, okay? <laughs> so just to let you know what your church is doing, because when it comes down to a virus like that, uh, it affects like, how do we do communion? I mean, really, I mean, how, how is it prepared? What are we doing? Uh, how do we dispense the elements? Is that the best way to dispense them while this virus is going around? Type of th so there's a lot of logistical things to talk about. Uh, we are talking about them uh, and planning according. So, so you get the letter, read the letter, and kind of give you an idea of what we're doing as a church, right? All right? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Praise God. You're talking back to me. It's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, good to have you guys. Oh, by the way, like, uh, like, should we shake hands? Elbows. Elbows. Forearms. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I love to shake hands, but maybe not so much shaking hands. And then I read this morning, one uh, news report said we should maintain a distance of six feet from each other. <laughs> oh, oh, that's not happening. Can you imagine, you know, if you see me backing up, it's not, don't take it personal. I'm just following the news, you know. Uh, but anyway, but they're just saying you should, you know, use your brain. Uh, and, and maybe don't do some things and do things differently and things like that. So uh, I was buying Purell the other night at, uh, at a Walmart, like at 9.30 at night, and there was a big stand with all the big bottles. And so I, I thought, wow, this will last forever. So I bought two big giant bottles. And the guy next to me bought a shopping cart. He's from another church, obviously. I mean, uh, but anyway, but uh, yeah, he, I don't know what he's doing with it, but uh, he, has, he has a ton of it. Anyway, moving on. W where are we? Romans. Romans, Romans, chapter 15. Let's pray. We're going to need it. Yeah, I've had about five cups of coffee so far. So if you think I spoke fast before, hold on to your seat. Let's pray. Uh, God, we just give you the next uh, 30 minutes uh, where we open the scriptures and uh, we peer into them looking for you to speak. And you shall do that. And you're going to take uh, what Paul says here and apply it to our uh, lives in an individual way as only the Spirit can do. 
And uh, might it be like we're having a private conversation with you as we listen. And we pray for those that, who don't know you. I don't know why they're here today, but uh, you've sovereignly guided them here. Might they uh, see the glory of the gospel today as we talk. And uh, might they see their need of the Savior in their life. And uh, we pray that you would speak most clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, spiritual maturity is uh, what your life should be about once you come to know Christ. Uh, and Paul has uh, talked about how to come to know Christ in the, the book of Romans uh, in a big way. Uh, chapters 1 through 8 talk about that exactly. Uh, how to be justified as a sinner in God's courtroom by faith, not by works. Uh, but then what? Well, on the maturity. That's what chapters 12 and following have been about, maturity. But I like what Paul says about maturity uh, in uh, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18. It's a very intriguing verse. He says, all of us, speaking of Christians, uh, gazing with unveiled face on the glory of the Lord, uh, notice the result of that, are being transformed into the same image uh, from glory to glory, as from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is very interesting. So if you were uh, doing a, a Bible study of this, using your proper hermeneutical skills, you would want to isolate, in my estimation, three key words here, right? So you would want to uh, circle gazing, that particular participle. Uh, you would want to uh, look at the word uh, to be transformed, circle that one. Uh, and then you would want to know, like, what does he mean image? What does that mean? Because those are the three core uh, verses when it comes to maturity. And so let's, let's look at them uh, as we think about Christian maturity and growing up in Christ, which is what Paul's been talking about in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15. Uh, what is that all about? So uh, to grow up in the faith, uh, it's all about gazing. It's a present tense participle denoting perpetual activity. Uh, that you're gazing, uh, and the word that he uses here is a word in the Greek text, which means to look at a mirror. So I'm assuming that when you got up this morning, you did some modification from the night over in a mirror, correct? Yeah. Guys might not have. Yeah, I look good, babe. I'm just, uh, I'm out of here. No, no. Um, how many brushes did you actually use to get to the point where you're at today? How many used more than one brush? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, because you need different kinds of brushes, right? Yeah, I've learned. Yeah, so you've got to do all kinds of things. So you're gazing into the mirror. But this is not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying you grow in godliness by looking at yourself. That'd be narcissistic. Who are you looking at? This is a test. This is a softball question, by the way. Yeah, you're gazing and with an unveiled face the glory of, of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. You're looking at him. Which leads to another question. How do I gaze at Jesus? I've never seen him. I'd love to see him face to face. In fact, I'm looking forward to the day to see him face to face. But prior to them, Paul says, you're gazing at, 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 at the Lord. Well, how do you do that? Well, when you pray, you're gazing at him. Uh, when you're reading the word, you're gazing at him. Uh, when you're singing a, a Chris Tomlin song, the, the top of your lungs parked next to me at the traffic light, and I'm looking at you going, what is your problem? And you're saying, hey, I'm gazing. You know, it's just like, you're aren't you not gazing? When you have a, a theological motif, you're focusing on that, you're meditating on that thing, uh, you're, you're gazing at Jesus. Uh, you know, when you're memorizing a verse, you're gazing at Jesus, you're gazing at him. So, Christian maturity is all about keeping your eyes on him, gazing at him. Uh, what happens when you do that? Well, that's the next word. Uh, I told you that's the result. When you look at the glory of God, you are being transformed. Now, the, I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. I'm sure you remember. It's test time. When you take a preposition and you wet it to a word in Greek, what's it do to the word? What, what does it do? Intensifies it, right? So he's going to take the word morpheo, morph, to change radically, and he takes the preposition meta, and he weds the two together, he staples them like they do with German words. Uh, he staples a word together to come up with, uh, when you look at Jesus, you are in a state of being transformed. 
And it's a passive verb, meaning uh, you're being changed from the outside. It's not you doing it to yourself. Who can, who can make you into the image of Christ? Well, if you skip ahead, he says, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Well, who's the Lord who's the Spirit? Third member of the Trinity. He's, he's with you, helping you will be morphed into the image of Christ, uh, be changed in his image. To, to morph means to undergo complete alteration. Have you seen the, uh, the Transformer series? Have you seen? It's a spiritual experience. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is. they are being transformed. Uh, and so he said, this is what you should be. So let's apply this to the book of Romans. We've been studying this book because I checked. I went back and looked the dating on my files. Two years we've been in Romans. Two years. It's gone by quickly. Thank you. Praise God. Thank, thank you for the encouragement. Um, two great years of studying Romans. What's that mean? It means I've had two years, you've had two years of studying Jesus. So you should be totally different than you were two years ago. I mean, you should look at yourself and say, I have totally changed my thought life, how I talk to people, how I handle issues, etc." I mean, I've morphed more into Christ-likeness. That's what it's all about. That's what he says here. You're radical, radical change, radical change. And then he says, uh, you're being changed into the image. See, it's the image of Christ. This is an interesting Greek word. It's the word icon, icon, an image. Uh, it was a coinage term in Paul's day, and it denoted a, a template that was used to strike a coin. When they struck a coin, that coin that was struck by the template looked exactly like the, the original. And he says, when you're looking at Jesus and being changed to his image, you're, you're going to become to look exactly like him. Now, my mother, uh, who just moved here not long ago, um, she was at the last service, so we can talk about her right now. She's not here. Um, <laughs> God love her. She's just a very perceptive, very discerning uh, lady, godly woman. Uh, she, was at a, uh, she was at Walmart. She, she, has a, she sold her home in California, and she has a Burke Cove Landing. Uh, she has a little uh, apartment there now. Uh, doesn't have a swimming pool anymore. She's loving it. Um, but she was at Walmart uh, the other day, and I said, how'd your day go? And she said, well, uh, I was at Walmart, and she said, I was checking out, and she said, I was noticing the lady at the cashier, just there was a glow about her. And she said, you know, I just thought to myself, I think she's a Christian. Oh, really? What'd you do about it? She said, I looked for my opportunity. She's at Walmart. You know, so she said, you know, when I got my opportunity, I, as she cashed me out, she said, I just looked at her and said, may God just really bless you today. And she said, the lady looked at me and she said, oh, he has blessed me. May he bless you too. You know, there's Christians at Walmart <laughs> that work there. You know, but what was my mom really saying? She said, I saw the icon of Jesus in that lady, which makes you stop and think, do people see the image of Christ in me? When you're at work, when you're driving your car, when you're walking the neighborhood, talking to people. I mean, what? Do they see the image? I mean, does it like exude? Because you know what I'm talking about. You can kind of sense the persons from Jesus. Uh, Paul says, uh, when you mature in the faith, I'm getting to my sermon if you're wondering. Uh, it's all about maturity. So he's been talking about maturity in chapter 15, but not directly, indirectly. Basically, what we've been looking at is his life. How is he signing off to the Romans? And what does that teach us about a mature person? Well, we've noticed some earmarks. Uh, we'll review before we add more earmarks. What does a godly, growing, morphing kind of Christian look like? Earmark number one, they have a positive attitude. They're positive. They're not negative all the time. Two, uh, they possess a powerful calling from God. They, they know God wants them to do something. It's in their bones. Uh, number three, uh, he, they glory in how God uses them to reach other people. They don't have the mindset, the church needs me. I am so gifted. That's narcissistic. That's arrogant. 
No, it is, I'm here to be used of God until God calls me home. And when he uses me, God gets the glory, not me. That, that's a godly Christian. Uh, number four, they are consumed with a particular gospel message. Paul had a particular gospel message. What was his? Well, he, he, I love Jews. He said, I will go to them first. But my primary, primary calling, Paul says, is to the Gentiles. He just said that. It, which translates, if you are growing up in the faith, you're going to have a particular calling from God. And, and you will go do it. Number five, earmark five. Uh, you have what I would call is a big gospel goal. It's a big goal. It's not a little goal. Now, do you have personal goals that you're trying to, to realize? I mean, hopefully you do. Do you, have, do you have some? Your goal is to have a goal? I mean, do you, do you, do you, have, do you have a goal? You know, because I'm, really, I'm a goal-driven person. And so I like to write my goals down and check them off as I go, etc. I mean, down to how many pages I read in a given day on a calendar. And what books I'm reading, and I got books stacked in my office of what's next and how many pages. I mean, I like organization. Because if I don't have goals, I don't achieve them, right? If I have like that manana attitude, nothing's going to happen. So I, I need a goal. So Paul is all about goals, big goals. Uh, I read a book on my sabbatical last year, among many books I read on my sabbatical, secular book on leadership, and it's called The Four Disciplines of Execution. Great book to read on how to manage staff. It's excellent. Uh, and in this book, in the very first of the book, they talk about goals. Discipline, they say, number one. They said, focus on wildly important goals. Uh, that will require you to go against your basic wiring as a leader and focus on less so that your team can achieve more. So what did they say? You need, you need a wildly important goal. It's called a WIG. It's an acronym. You got to love it in DC. What's the acronym? WIG. It's a wildly important goal. Maybe the Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, somebody, they can use this. Um, you, you need like a wildly important goal. And he says, if you want to manage your staff well or your church well, then you just need like one or two goals and that's it. Because if you say, man, we are rocking, we've got 50 goals. <laughs> yeah, that's like you don't work out and you're going to automatically go out and run a marathon. Ain't happening, right? It's not happening. So you need to have that one big or two big goals. Uh, Jim Collins came along with Jerry Porras and they wrote the book, uh, Built to Last. And they took the WIG concept, which means what? Wildly important goal. And they, well, they have a different way they translate it. They call it, uh, which I find most interesting, a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> Gotta love them. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Uh, I've, I've modified that to make it spiritual. Here's how I've modified it. Okay, so like, who is that? Sully. Sully. Oh, so don't you love Sully? Yeah. yeah, all the hair and everything. So he, I was thinking, what, who's Harry? He's really Harry. So what's he asking you? Well, spiritual question. Do you have a, it's English, big, hairy, audacious, gospel goal. Yeah, Paul did. He had, a, he had, he had goals, you know, to reach Gentiles, and then he had a really big goal to go to Spain, the end of the earth. Notice what he says in verse 22. For this reason, I have often been hindered from coming to you in Italy, uh, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to you. I'm coming to you. But he breaks off in verse 24 uh, in a rabbit trail. He, he's such an emotional speaker. He, he's, he's so excited about coming to Italy, and he's also thinking about Spain. He's vacillating back and forth. I never go on rabbit trails, but he, <laughs> he did. The thing is, you need to know you're on a rabbit trail and you need to come back, right? That's what I try to do. Now, back to my sermon. Um, a big, hairy, audacious gospel goal. So what was his big gospel goal? To go to Spain. 
the end of the earth. Now, but he says, you know, I'd like to get to Italy, but I've been hindered. So there's two ways you can translate this Greek word. It can either mean it's positive or negative, meaning the hindrance was from the devil that he wanted to thwart the work of Paul and he tried to, or it was more like the concept of a, uh, well, like a delay. I've been delayed. Uh, so if you look at this from a, the perspective of the devil hindered Paul, um, you could easily say that Paul was hindered constantly in trying to give the gospel out. In fact, when you try to give the gospel to those who don't know Christ about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the minions assigned to these people are gonna do everything possible to shut you down. So think about Paul's missionary journeys and the hindrances he, he experienced. First missionary journey, um, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Uh, Jews from Antioch and Iconium uh, went over to Lystra and whipped the people into a frenzy to where they drug Paul out of town and stoned him. Well, I'd say that's opposition. <laughs> that's hindrance. Did that stop him? No, no, he kept going. Second missionary journey, Acts chapter 17. Uh, he winds up in Mars Hill where all the great Epicurean, Stoic philosophers are, the intelligentsia of the world. And he finds a, a, an altar there to the unknown God. I mean, they had thousands of altars to God. Paul sees this one there and tells the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, I think I know who this God is. Really, you? Where are you from? They're gonna end, end up... Um, denigrating Paul uh, by calling him, and, and you can't see him in English text, but in the Greek text, they call him a seed picker. He's like, I threw out a bunch of grass seed in my backyard yes, yesterday. I, I realize, and I tried to work it in with a rake and everything, I realize I've just fed half the birds in Burke. Because <laughs> after I was done, they all landed. It's like, if they could speak, they're mocking me. Like, thank you for the food. And they're just walking around, pecking, getting, and they, they, they tell Paul, you're just like a, like, a, like a bird picker. You're just picking up a little seed of theology here, a little philosophy here, but we are the intelligentsia. You don't know what you're talking about. And so they opposed him. Uh, third missionary journey. Uh, he winds up in Ephesus, uh, and, he, and so many people got saved, and starts cutting into the prophets of the sex goddess Artemis, Diana, and they're losing money. And so and they're all chanting, you know, great is the goddess Artemis. And Paul's like, could I go in there and talk to those people? Uh, they opposed Paul. They opposed Paul. So Paul was hindered on his missionary journeys, uh, but I don't think he's talking about that here. I think he's talking about his own personal hindrance, meaning he was so excited about his wig, which is what? Wildly important goal of reaching the Gentiles. He was so excited about that and fulfilling that, it kind of hindered his big, hairy, audacious gospel goal of going to Spain. Because notice what he says. Uh, I've been hindered from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, I'm coming. What did he just say? I've been so busy on my missionary journeys going to the Gentiles and all these trips, I finally hit all the strategic cities. I'm done with all of those wildly important goals, and now I can come to you. Could you imagine if you're so committed to spreading the gospel whatever your target is, to where, to, where to spread the gospel, uh, that it hinders you from getting to your really big concept of spreading the gospel? It's interesting. Paul says, uh, I'm, I'm coming, and I wanna, I wanna talk to you in Rome, uh, and I think I'm ready to get there now, but my desire is to really go, uh, go big or go home. I wanna go to Spain. Why Spain? Well, uh, William Barclay, who's really great at giving you cultural history, uh, says this about Spain. And my mom's uh, sister, my Aunt Roberta, who's now with the Lord, and my Uncle Tony, Antonio Sanchez, he was from near Barcelona. So when I was 15, he took me over to Spain. Uh, he spent a, my uncle was a millionaire, so we stayed in castles and went to Palma Mallorca. Had a great time. 
And he was fluent in Spanish. That was awesome. I had my little Berlitz guide. Como esta usted? And my uncle's just like, hey, let me handle this. You know, put the book away. Um, now you just use your phone, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And so why, why Spain? And my uncle would swell with pride because Paul was going to go to Spain. España. Uh, why was it so great? Well, Spain, according to Barclay, was experienced a kind of a blaze of genius. Uh, he says many of the greatest figures in the empire were Spaniards. Lucan, uh, the epic poet, Martial, the uh, master of the epigram, Quintilian, the greatest orator, and above all, Seneca, the great philosopher, Stoic philosopher, he was uh, the prime minister of Nero. Oh, they were all from Spain. Paul's thinking to himself, if I can just get to Spain with the gospel, imagine what can happen. Because Spain was the end of the world. Remember? Have you seen the maps from back then? They chart the open ocean, and what do they put there on the maps? Big giant dragons, meaning, hey, you want to sail out there? It's over for you. Paul goes, I want to take the gospel to the end of the world. See, he had a big, hairy, audacious gospel goal, didn't he? He wanted to go to Spain. Where do you want to go? Well, let's look at it this way. What, what, what's a wig? Widely important goal. When applied to the gospel, mm, that's like your missionary journeys. Now, those are the, the good goals, but they're not the big one. I mean, do you even have a wig of where you want to take the gospel? And then you have a really big one. Like, I am going to take the gospel to the entire Pentagon. Possible? Is it possible for me? Eh, probably not. I don't have security clearances. But is it possible? I mean, what is that big goal? So uh, we had an admiral here uh, who retired a couple years ago. When I did his retirement ceremony at the Army-Navy Club, he had a picture uh, that he showed all the people coming in of his life. And you see his car in the parking lot at the Pentagon. It's parked there by itself, and it's dark. And he, he said, this, is, this was my career. I came when it was dark, and I went home when it was dark. I never saw the sun. Well, I mean, thank you for that kind of commitment. But, but it's like, if you want to take the gospel to the Pentagon, well, okay, well, I might have troops under my care. Am I going to share the gospel with how many of them? Well, maybe uh, all the colonels who work for me or all the captains who work for me, but you set a goal. But then what's the big goal? Remember the big, what was it called? Harry Audacious Gospel Goal. I mean, what is that? See, I think a lot of Christians don't lead a lot of people to faith because they have no goals. So if you're starting out small, well, you might say to yourself, okay, my big goal for the year is I'm going to share the gospel with 10 people or 50 people or 100 people. So, what's the goal? And then God helped me to do that. And then you might need to say, I don't even really know what the gospel is per se. I know, I know I'm a sinner and Jesus saved me, but I mean, what is it exactly I'm communicating? So when I was younger, back in the 60s, they taught us the method. Back then it was called the Roman road. Why are you moaning? No, you should be going, oh. Well, let's try that again. It's called the Roman road. Thank you. Yeah, the Roman, the Ro unbelievable. Uh, it's the Roman road. So what's the Roman road? Mm-hmm. Want me to call you individually? Come up here. And, uh. So what's the Roman road? So it's the bad news and the good news. So it's the bad news is you're a sinner and you need God, right? So the bad news is Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And and I have illustrations for all of those things. You know, like if we, if we were playing baseball and I, you threw a baseball so far, uh, you're not going to hit the goal, whatever we pick. And I, since I used to play baseball, maybe I could throw farther than you. None of us will hit the goal. Well, that's, that's we're sinners. We'll never, never reach the glory of God on our own. I mean, that's, we're all sinners. That's, that's the first one. Then, then the second part, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. You know, we're all spiritually. Yeah, we're like a Christmas tree. We look great. No roots. We're dead. We need God. I'm, I'm moving quickly through the Roman road. And then the good news is what? Well, Romans 5. 
there's peace with God to those who know Christ. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. And anyway, I mean, so you get the Roman, do you even know a gospel presentation? Do you, to give to somebody when you get the opportunity. Well, um, that's what you're setting goals for. So maybe that's what you need to do. When you set your wig or your big, hairy, audacious gospel goal, maybe it just starts with this, this month I am learning a gospel presentation. Anyway, set a goal. That's a godly thing to take the gospel out to the world. Uh, I, item number six, earmark of a godly person. They enjoy being with other Christians. He says, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. <sighs> okay, let's just make this real. Do you love every Christian? Are you excited about every Christian that might, your wife might invite over to the house? Why are you so quiet now? Okay, I mean, it's like, you invited who? Are you, are you kidding me? They're kids, they're gonna tear up our house. It's gonna be noisy. I mean, et cetera. I mean, you had these discussions? You know, but Paul says, no, I, 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 in coming to Italy, I can't wait to, or going to Spain, I can't wait to come to Italy and enjoy your company for a while. Because if you're growing in Christ, you love to be with Christians. You follow? Now, what's interesting is the word enjoy in Greek means to fill up a cup with a fluid. This is interesting. It leads to this connotation. It's, it's when you're around other Christians, it shouldn't drain your cup. It should fill your cup up. Man, I'm so glad they're gone. It's so draining when they're here. No, this, no, no. When they leave, you should, man, that was exhilarating. You know, uh, when I first moved here and uh, some, one of our couples invited us over for dinner, and, you know, I'm just used to go over dinner and have a good time. And after dinner, we're all sitting around the table and, and they pulled out a book, you know, like C.S. Lewis or something. And okay, we're gonna have a reading from like C.S. Lewis. I'm like, huh? And so they read, you know? And they said, we're, we're now gonna have a discussion about this particular philosophical theological concept. I'm like, whoa, these DC people are serious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, you get excited about being with people like that because Christians should fill you up that when you walk away from them, you just feel better about yourself. I just spent two weeks with 51 Christians from our church and other churches in Israel. Two weeks. I mean, we live together. I mean, within reasons. Oh, thank you. Some of them are here today. Remember you were with me two weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. And so we were up early in the morning, had to eat, break a dawn, you're jet lagged, you're eating. <sighs> on the bus all day, on and off the bus, walking to infinity, uh, eating lunch together all over Israel, dinner at night, sitting around the table at night for an hour and a half, two hours talking, etc. So I asked them, after been on many trips before, I asked my group that was at my table, the 10 people sitting at my table the last night, because we had like five tables, uh, and I asked my group, what's the greatest thing you're going to miss when we go back to the States? Lady sitting next to me, she almost starts crying. She goes, what I'm going to miss is this. She goes, I, I don't ever get to sit and talk to you. I, don't, I didn't even know these people. She said, now I know all of you. She said, I'm going to miss just being together around the table. Would you agree that yeah, you would agree? Thank you. Yeah, you would agree. I mean, it's just a special time because when you're around other Christians, it does fill up your cup. Because like we had just seen amazing spiritual things together where Christ walked on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, having a worship service, turned the engine off, floating in the, in the Sea of Galilee, singing praise songs to Christ. There's nothing better. And you have this thing together. And then you get to sit and have a meal together. It's awesome. Uh, we even had one restaurant we went to where they served us Peter's fish. It was awesome. It's really bony, but it's Peter's fish. 
I've learned my lesson, do not eat that fish. There's no meat. But you got to do it one time. Um, but, it, but it's that whole thing. That, why is it so great to be with other Christians? Uh, hey, I'll give you a couple ideas. You're with people who love you unconditionally. They love you. Uh, you're with people who, uh, they talk about things that matter most. Not, not small talk. I don't like small talk. I mean, it's okay to a degree, but I'd rather talk about significant things. Uh, you're with people uh, that uh, know how to have good, clean fun. You are. Uh, you're with people uh, uh, who will give you hope for the day. You're with people who will be a great sounding board if you're facing issues. The, maybe they're older and they're wiser and you can share with them. You're not gonna freak them out. They're not gonna desert you. They're gonna go, hey, been there, done that. What'd you do? Well, this is what my wife and I did. I mean, just wisdom. And that just fills your cup up. So Paul says, I can't wait to come and enjoy your company for a while. That's a growing Christian. And last, well, not last. I got two more. Um, it's only 1204. Uh, item number seven. Uh, he, you will do your part to alleviate body needs. Needs in the body. Christian needs. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem, Paul was, serving the saints in Jerusalem, at the Jerusalem church, the mother church. It says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. He says, yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted, by definition, to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I finished this and have put my seal on the fruit of theirs, I'll go on my way to you by Spain, or to Spain. Uh, what was Paul doing? He said, hey, the Jerusalem church is poor. It's the church that planted all of your churches. I mean, those Christians there don't have a lot of money because think about it. You're a Jew who trusts Christ as Messiah. You just got baptized. You just lost your family. They shunned you. They excommunicated you. People won't come into your business anymore. They won't buy your product, etc. You are shunned. Uh, and so that church, by definition, didn't have very much money. And now Paul has been saving all these Gentiles all throughout these regions. Uh, and not that they're wealthy churches, but they have more than the Jerusalem church. And Paul says, hey, it works like this. They gave you the gospel, the spiritual thing, well, then you are obligated to give them the material thing out of brotherly love for them. So he collected money for them. And you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They gave, well, generously to the church. Which means if you're growing up in the faith, you're gonna spot needs in the body and do what you can to alleviate said need. You're not gonna hear about someone's need and just go, hey man, I'm so sorry about your situation. Yeah, uh, we'll be praying for you. And hey, what's for lunch? No, he's not talking about that. One of my friends in California uh, owns a very successful business, and I've known him for, I don't know, 40 years or longer. He's my age. Uh, and uh, several years ago, one of his best friends was losing his business because of the implosion of the housing market. He was an electrical, uh, an electrical company. Uh, and he was losing his business, and he was losing his home, his custom home. And so I asked my friend, who was very well off, I asked my Christian friend, uh, well, what happened when, uh, in a, you know, let's call him Larry. You know, Larry was losing his house and his business. What'd you do? He goes, it was tragic. But he said, I did what any Christian man would do in my situation. I bought his house and I gave it to him. I'm like, I have, I have needs. <laughs> he laughed at me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he, you know, he, he bought his house. You bought his house. He's like, well, what else was I supposed to do? He said, God's busting me with the money. And so I said, I just bought his house and gave him the deed. I mean, you might not be able to do that, but you can do something. When you hear an issue 
You can step in and say, here I am, God, God use me. And it's that type of thing. And one day, uh, we all have to stand to give account to God uh, based on Matthew 25, uh, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. And we have to give account to what do we do with the monies entrusted to us? Do we build his kingdom or do we build our kingdom? And then lastly, um, if you are a believer that's growing up in Christ, you will covet the prayers of other Christians. You'll never arrive where you don't need someone to pray for you. I mean, you can't, you'll never get to the point where you say, I am so spiritually mature, I do not need prayer. That's an arrogant person. See, the more you walk with God, the more you're gonna need prayer from other people. Notice what Paul says. He says, I know that when I come there to you, I will come in the fullness and the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, notice this right here, to do what? Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Strive together. I've thought about this all week. Um, this is a preposition wedded to a verb. What's it do to the word? It intensifies the meaning. Now, what's the word that, that the, the preposition soon to, means to be with is wedded to? I'll give you the word in Greek. Agonizomai. Sounds like what? Agony. It's the word from which we get agony. He takes a preposition with, weds it to agonizomai, and just intensified it. And he said, when you pray about the three things I'm gonna give you, when you think about me, don't do it nonchalant. Don't flippantly walk into God's presence and go, hey, you know, that Paul, bless him. No, he said, you, I want you to like get into the emotion of praying for my life. I mean, I face the devil himself. I, I really need you to pray for me. You know, I thought about that all week and had to ask myself a big question. When I pray for you, and I do, sometimes whoever you are, I pray for you in the middle of the night when I get up and I'll pray for you. But I had to ask myself, is it, with that kind of passion. Well, I wish it had that kind of passion. I mean, I'm doing it, but, but what does that mean? And the hard part about preaching is Sunday's always coming, right? You don't know because you're not preaching. But, but the other thing is you run into concepts. It's like, I need some time to work on that, right? And so it's like, gosh, Lord, teach me the depth of that kind of prayer, that kind of prayer. And forgive me if I've been nonchalant just going, hey, God bless them. No, he says, get into it. He asked them for three things. See, a godly person will ask you for three things. He asked, uh, number one, we'll read it, what he says. Uh, let's see. Strive together in your prayers for me, verse 31, request number one, that I might be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judah, the Jews in Jerusalem. Deliver me, item one. Two, that my service in Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Translated, when I give the Christian church, the Jews there, this money, might it be acceptable to them? Might they not look at Gentile money and think, eh, there's something fishy going on here. And then number three, so that I might come to you in the joy of the will of God and find refreshing, refreshing rest in your company. Translated, pray that when I come to Italy, it would be a time of just great joy when I see you face to face. Three prayer requests. See, a godly person can tell you, here's my big three, okay? When I was in uh, Israel for two weeks, one of our... Uh, elders was with us and um, he came up to me the very first day we were there when I was still kind of jet lagged and trying to get into the time zone. And he came up to me at breakfast and he said, I just want to let you know that every day when we get going, I'm going to call you off to the side. I'm going to pray for you. And not too many people do that to me. That's huge. So, I mean, uh, you know, I'd be trying to get on the bus and I'd feel an arm on my shoulder. Whoa. You know, I'm like, what? He's like, I, I know you're busy, but we need to pray. And so we, we go over here and pray. Uh, that's huge. See, that, that's godly people. He's like, what do we need to pray about today? And he'd pray, he'd pray. See, Paul says, I got three things. 
You have to ask yourself, did the Christians that prayed for Paul, did, how were these things answered? Did God answer them? Let's look at them. Number one, that he would be delivered from hostile Jews in Jerusalem. Was he delivered? I mean, if you know his story. Well, yes and no. He goes to the Temple Mount. They have a huge riot there. They want to kill Paul. Uh, uh, 740 uh, armed Roman soldiers have to take Paul and escort him to Caesarea on the coast uh, because there's a plot to kill him because they can't stand Paul. So was he delivered? Yes. Was he delivered how Paul asked to be delivered? No. High priest has somebody slap Paul on the mouth for, you know, speaking against uh, the Torah and the law. And uh, Paul has words with the high priest, Ananias, etc. cetera. Uh, I mean, there was a mob trying to kill him. So he was delivered from them, but not quite how he had anticipated, which leads to a question. When you pray, does God answer you exactly as you anticipated? See, rarely. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've learned with God, it's kind of like playing chess. It's like, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to anticipate these other options. So I'm going to, you know, I need to bring these other things up, God. Because God typically does things differently than what you anticipated. Uh, but Paul said, pray for my deliverance. Uh, imagine if they hadn't prayed for Paul. Two, uh, did the Jerusalem church accept his gift from the other churches? Yes. Acts, Acts 21, 17 to 20 says they were overjoyed when Paul got there with their relief monies for the church. Prayer was answered. Number three, did he get to Rome and find refreshment with the Roman Christians? Well, yes and no. How did he go there? He went there as a prisoner, shackled in chains. That's how he got there. He said, God, I want to be there with the Romans to be refreshed by their friendship. God says, okay, but that's, you're going to go there, but it's not going to be as a free man. You're going to be imprisoned under house arrest for two years. Imagine God took one of the greatest teachers of the word of God and put him in a, in a house under arrest, chained to a, a Roman guard. Wow, how, how illogical that looks. But God says, no, that's perfect. And in that situation, Paul got to refresh many people as they did him. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, he got to witness to the guards that were chained to him. You got to kind of wonder, who is the prisoner? <laughs> See, you would be looking at that going, oh, this is so terrible, texting somebody. I've been arrested. You know, this is ridiculous. You know, my life's going south. What's God doing? No, Paul's like, they've chained me to a Roman guard. Awesome. Can you imagine the shift change, the duty change? When they, you know, kind of, it's your turn, you know, and the other guy came. I said, how was your shift? Same old stuff from that guy. Jesus, Jesus, gospel, resurrection, my sin, I need to repent, you know, et cetera, you know. Prepare yourself. It says he, he witnessed to those guards. Uh, it also says that uh, he had a lot of guests. Like Philippians chapter one, verse one says Timothy came to see him. Uh, Ephesians 6.21 says Tychicus came to see him. Uh, Philippians 4.18 says Epaphroditus came to see him. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 4 verse 10 says Mark uh, came to see him. A lot of Christians came to see him. How did God answer that prayer? Well, not as Paul anticipated. And God says, no, let me answer that prayer. You're going to find refreshment from the Roman Christians, but as a prisoner, but you're going to impact all those people who are free uh, and you'll find refreshment when they come to see you. Again, doesn't God answer your prayers in ways you did not anticipate boy he does but it's always the best because Isaiah 55 8 to 9 is so true that his thoughts are not your thoughts his ways are not your ways so when you pray and ask God for those three things God may your will be be done and may, may I embrace that will maturity we'll call it your glory glow the more you look at Jesus the more you glow like Jesus how's your glory goal uh, may you have goals to achieve it let's pray God Thank you for who you are. 
Uh, we praise you for just the opportunity to even know you and might our lives reflect you even more today than yesterday and, and more tomorrow than today. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. It is beautiful outside. Is it? Amen. Thank you.